Pharmacy Podcast Nation and especially our community pharmacy owners. Do you ever feel like you're getting pushed to do more with less? There's a product out there I'd like you to take a look at. Doing more for your pharmacy and more for your patients is important. I'm talking about the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. For the same copay for your patients as pen needles alone, the UltiGuard Safe Pack provides 100 premium pen needles and a sharps container all in one. When pharmacies dispense the pen needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. Check this product out today and let us know what you think. Go to www.altiguardsafepack forward slash podcast. That's altiguardsafepack forward slash podcast. You can get a free sample pack on the website. Thanks for all you do as frontline healthcare providers. And thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast Network has led the podcasting space for the pharmacy industry. This network of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians leads the podcasting charts with more than 2 million downloads, 40 different stations, and new episodes every week. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is the number one podcast for the pharmacy professional. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. As I always say, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of, you know, individualized uh, medication therapy management. So, you know, we have to make sure that um, we're giving, you know, the most optimal um medication management to the patient. September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. Millions of people do not know they even have sickles, the sickle cell trait, and because the trait usually does not cause illness. But it's a fascinating disease state. I was excited to welcome Dr. Cynthia Hall to launch a new series on sickle cell through the Pharmacy Podcast uh, Network and Nation. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for your insights. She set the stage back in July, and we've been late in getting out a follow-up episode, but I'm excited to welcome back Dr. William Amarque to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Uh, welcome back, William. Thank you so much, Todd, for, uh, for having me back on. Definitely a pleasure. You really opened the door for transforming the nation when you and uh, Jamie Tynan uh, launched the Transforming the Nation podcast series, which is now our number one leading series in the network. It's got the it's got over eleven thousand three hundred and forty listens to today in the combination of of all three of the the series, and we were really breaking into some of the tough questions and. I don't pull punches. I like to really dig into the sensitivity around racism and disparity and gender equality and 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 just different things that we we got to get past. I don't you have children, William. I have children and I don't want either of our children 
to experience what you and I have experienced and more so what you've experienced as a black man, as a professional, as someone that's gone through that. So when you and I have talked offline about specialty disease states, specifically sickle cell, and how that has impacted um, specific people, the biases that come with pain management, the biases that came with um, specific races and dealing with sickle cell. I had to have you back so that we can dig deeper into this. So I'm gonna start off just by asking a general question. Describe to our listeners, the, the P4s that are listening right now, the pharmacy students out there, the pharmacists who are curious, Let's talk about what is sickle cell. It encompasses a group of inherited disorders that affect the hemoglobin, the molecule, and our red blood cells. But I, I need you to unpack that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as you stated before, um, September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month, and um, we definitely um, need to get more awareness about this disease. So I'm definitely grateful that you uh, brought me back on to uh, discuss this disease. So uh, sickle, cell di uh, sickle cell disease, as you said, is um, a group of inherited blood disorders. And um, what happens is that you inherit um, the abnormal um, sickle cell gene from both of your parents. And um, because of that um, mutation that happens genetically, um, you get abnormal uh, hemoglobin, which is called hemoglobin S. The normal is A. And um, because of that abnormal hemoglobin, um, you're gonna have uh, deformed uh, red blood cells. So you're gonna have that hallmark uh, sickle cell, um, that sickle shape. And usually our red blood cells are round, they're flexible, they're able to traverse you know, um, different areas within our body and, and get oxygen to uh, where we need to um, in our bodies. But because of this sickle shape, um, oxygen is not able to get to where it needs to go and, you know, what happens is called polymerization. So it sticks together, it, it clumps together in, in certain aspects of, of your body and you're not able to um, get oxygen uh, to where it needs to go. So you can have tissue death and, and things of that nature. So um, because of that, you know, all that clumping that happens, you can get what is called um, vaso-occlusive crisis or, you know, sickle cell crisis. And it's one of the main reasons why, you know, sickle cell patients go um, into the emergency room with, um, you know, that acute pain from that crisis. So um, it is a very uh, debilitating disease, but, you know, that's the, the basic, um, you know, science behind um, why you have that deformity in that red blood cell. So the CDC estimates that there's approximately a 100,000 Americans who are affected by sickle cell disease. Uh, we have 300 million Americans out there. So this is a very, um, very specific vertical of a specialty disease state, and it needs uh, the same type of attention and detail that many other of our rare diseases have. And um, I think with a rare disease comes lots of bias. So let's talk about that in, in the form of, of uh, not only race, but uh, just in general, people that might not understand the impacts. What it, what are what's happening to a patient that's experiencing uh, sickle cell disease, William? So, with sickle cell disease, as you uh, stated before, um, it affects you know 100,000 over 100,000 people in the U.S. and you know it's predominantly 
you know, African-American and, you know, Hispanic um, American as well. But um, one thing I wanted to, you know, talk um, briefly talk about before I get into that is, you know, a lot of people think sickle cell disease is, you know, characterized as the black disease, but, you know, globally, it, it affects many different types of ethnic groups, right? It, it affects, you know, um, people from South America, you know, Mediterranean countries. Um, so it, it affects a whole host of different ethnic groups. Um, so that's one thing that I wanted to say as well. So as far as um, here in America, unfortunately, it, it disproportionately affects, you know, African-Americans. And, you know, when, when someone presents to the emergency room with, you know, a vaso-occlusive crisis or a sickle cell crisis, um, it, it is very painful, excruciating disease because you're not getting oxygen to where your um, body needs oxygen. So you are in excruciating pain and because of this um, clumping of the cells and, and the polymerization that happens in different parts of your body, it, it, it tends to cause really bad pain. So um, people who present in the emergency room are um, gonna be presenting with, with very severe um, acute pain. So I wanna reference uh, Dr. Brandon Dyson, who in my opinion, is pharmacy's Jedi master of uh, <laughs> putting together um, cliff notes on so yeah. many different subjects. So shout out to Brandon Dyson. I have been referencing his guide. It's called the Pharmacist Guide to Sickle Cell Disease. It will be in our show notes. It was a, we used it for our show notes for our first of these podcasts. But in there, he does reference sickle cell patients who are highly susceptible to bacterial viral infections and the strategies to prevent those immunizations and um, through antibiotics and different uh, therapies, especially in uh, children that are under five years of age. Can you unpack that for me a little bit, William? Um, pharmacy students that are listening are also interested in understanding that more. Yeah, so because you know a patient has uh, sickle cell disease, you are um, at increased risk for infection. So that's why it's important, you know, for you know infection prevention, right? So um, making sure that you're up to date on your vaccinations and and up to date on you know uh, different things that can help. And because of this, you know, uh, state that sickle cell patients are in, because you have increased risk of infection, you can get um, life-threatening complications. So one of them is called acute chest uh, syndrome. So, you know, it's characteristic of uh, lung infiltrates that happen um, and things of that nature. So, um, and also um, pneumonia is another infection. So that's why it's very important, um, especially with sickle cell patients to have infection prevention because obviously we're in a pandemic right now and with um, COVID-19, you know, you see a lot of overlapping symptoms um, as far as like respiratory issues and, and um, you know, coagulopathies and things of that nature. So um, it's very important to make sure that, you know, you understand um, that sickle cell patients are really uh, susceptible to have, you know, different types of infections because of the disease state itself. Also following this guide um, that, that Brandon's put together, he's mentioning nutrition. And I think of the, the nutraceuticals that are in play right now. I think of nutritionists who should be working with pharmacists more, the physician who kind of um, lobs the, the therapy ball over to the 
to, to the pharmacist to process a prescription. There's much more involved in this than just filling that prescription. I think there's other facets of healthcare to surround the sickle cell patient with nutrition, with pain management. So let's focus on nutrition. Talk to me about folic acid, um, multivitamin with iron, why that's necessary, um, oral vitamin D and calcium. Why is this important? So yeah, about um, nutrition. Nutrition is also a very um, important aspect um, in sickle cell disease because um, especially with, um, as I was saying earlier, with the sickle shape of the um, red blood cell, um, anemia and fatigue that can happen. You have red, uh, red blood cell destruction um, and you have like uh, what they call oxidative stress um, that can happen. So the importance of nutrition, the importance of getting um, your you know, vitamins and uh, with iron and folic acid, those are all very important, um, especially with um, this disease because of the oxidative stress um, that can happen. So um, there are um, different uh, multivitamins and things of that nature that you can um, take to more of, uh, to help you with that um, nutrition aspect of sickle cell disease. So um, as you were saying earlier, sickle cell disease is, um, is very like multifaceted. So there's many different um, aspects to management. So it's very uh, holistic. So there's many different um, avenues that one can um, do to help. So that's why, as you were saying earlier, it's very important to have, you know, multi um, health professional collaboration, especially with a nutritionist and uh, with someone who can, you know, help, you know, especially children um, with nutrition management. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Jeffrey Feudin. If you don't know who he is, his last name is F-U-D-I-N, Dr. Feudin. He's known as the pain doc. He's a pharmacist and he's referenced, referenced in so many peer-reviewed articles as really this leading pharmacist who understands pain management. And when I, when I think of the studies that he has been part of, he talked about sickle cell in opioids and that that balance and before we started recording with uh with william i was saying to uh, to you about this pendulum that's swinging in the world of opioids and the leverage and usage of opioids between a pharmacist um, a pain management specialist a doctor and how you know on one side of that pendulum we have purdue that you know purposely um you know targeted different communities as well as uh, disease states knowing that opioids would be increased in, in some of these pain docs that did things out of bounds. And then you have the other side, which is over-regulation and saying, hey, you can give seven days worth. And so, I mean, this is frustrating for me, thinking of the pain that a uh, sickle cell uh, patient is going through. And I just want you to chime in on that, uh, William, of, of your oversight as well as your belief in, in the balancing of, of that crazy pendulum, especially in the sickle cell disease patient? Yeah, um, so as we just got done talking about nutrition, um, pain management is also another um, aspect to sickle cell disease uh, treatment. So, you know, as I always say, I'm a, I'm a firm believer of, you know, individualized uh, medication therapy management. So, you know, we have to make sure that um, we're giving, you know, the most optimal um, medication management to the patient. So 
you know, as you were saying earlier, when with with uh, sickle cell disease, you present in the ER with you know an immense amount of pain. So pain is something that needs to be treated because you know untreated pain can lead to um, other issues as well. So especially if if you look at the um, the sickle cell guidelines, if you look at the NIH guidelines. Um, they say that, you know, someone presenting in the ER with, you know, a vaso-occlusive crisis, you know, very acute pain, you know, needs to be triaged and, and treated within 30 minutes. And, you know, you, you look, you know, at, at EDs around the world and just my experience with taking my brother to the ED, you know, I, I don't think I've ever had that done within 30 minutes. And it's, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that the guidelines, you know, mention that. And, and, and I'm not sure if a lot of providers especially emergency room physicians who, you know, deal with sickle cell patients who come in are even aware that, you know, the, the urgency uh, that you need to treat um, sickle cell patients. And um, especially with, with pain management, because, um, you know, when, when, when you're having a, a vaso-occlusive crisis, um, it's, it's very painful for um, that patient. So um, that's why, you know, individualized pain management is important. And, you know, Whenever we're talking about pain management, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, the, there's going to be stigma, right? So you have, you know, stigma with use of opioids. You know, obviously, we're in, um, you know, this opioid epidemic, and, and that doesn't make it uh, easier for, you know, sickle cell patients or, you know, pain patients in general just to, to get medications for the disease state. So, and on top of that as well, the racial bias um, that happens, you know, on the provider side, um, you know, if you if you look at, you know, sickle cell forums or if you just, you know, ask a sickle cell patient or do surveys and see surveys that have been done, you can see a lot of the times, you know, uh, the, the plethora amount of stories that, you know, sickle cell patients can tell you that they've how they've been treated um, in the ER um, just with, you know, not with dignity and and not being treated as as the patient that they, you know, um, that they need to be treated. So. This, this topic is multifaceted and, um, you know, having dealt with it myself with, uh, with a family member who, who has this disease, it's uh, the topic of pain, manage pain management is very important. And, you know, the guidelines, as I mentioned earlier, talk about, you know, use of IV opioids. Um, so, you know, some, some of the opioids that are used like morphine or um, Dilaudid is another one. So, um, yeah, pain, pain management is a very, uh, you know, sticky topic that, you know, we, we hear about, but, you know, it definitely needs to be um, talked about more. So what about this medication that I've read such little about and don't really understand? And for the students that are out there interested in this or pharmacists that are listening to this podcast, let's talk about hydroxyurea. I don't know if I'm even saying that correct. How do I, how do you say that? <laughs> hydroxyurea. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. So, I got different of my syllables than you do, but <laughs> you know, syllable, syllable. So yeah, tell me about that medication. Yeah, so um, hydroxyurea is, is one of the mainstays uh, medication for sickle cell patients. And originally it was used um, as a cancer drug in the 60s, but um, it got uh, approved for sickle cell disease you know, in the late 90s. So it's been around for, for quite some time and um, what it does, it basically increases your um, fetal hemoglobin. So um, when, when you transition, you know, from your first year of life, you transition from the fetal hemoglobin to, you know, adult, making adult hemoglobin. 
But um, with sickle cell patients, obviously, when, when they transition, um, that's not good, obviously, because when they transition to the adult hemoglobin, you're going to have that sickle shape because of the abnormal mutation that happens, right? So hydroxyurea increases, um, you know, fetal hemoglobin, and um, it helps with, you know, not just with, you know, the pain crisis, but also long-term, you know, management as well. So that's actually one of the um, the mainstays for, for sickle cell disease. So it's also a, a pretty dangerous medication. So talk to me about administration and, and how family members are probably needing to, to be coached. And is this a medication that needs to be administered by a pharmacist or a nurse or kind of unpack that for us? So as you were saying earlier with um, hydroxyurea, um, administration is uh, very important, especially when you have, you know, family members and or other, you know, members who are taking care of you. Um, certain tips and um, things of that nature can help. So um, they recommend, you know, wearing disposable gloves, um, you know, washing your hands with soap and water um, before um, and after coming contact uh, with this medication. Obviously, do not um, open capsules or um, or break them as well. So. Um, Things like that, um, as far as administering um, the medication, if you have, um, you know, family members or, or caregivers um, that are taking care of uh, sickle cell patients, those are some um, tips to um, help as far as administration, some of the things that are uh, recommended. So, I mean, the, the, this medication is also considered a, um, a carcinogen, so it's, it's, it's dangerous in and of itself, and the balance between the effectiveness of hydroxyurea and and the and the patients who don't uh, react to it well, um, and then there's a uh, toxicity that that comes into this, um, and I believe that the the word is uh, hematolog hemo hematologic. How do you say that? Hematologic. Hematologic. So the hematologic toxicity occurs, and if it is, if it occurs a second time, you're supposed to get off of the medication. Um, when I think of you know instances like that, and my my lack of pharmacy understanding and not being a pharmacist, I immediately go back to what I know about efficacy and in medications working in someone specifically for a disease state based on that medication. So does does a test, does a PGX, does a DNA uh, pharmacogenomics test come into play here so that we can make sure that this medication is, uh, is going to affect the patient as the, as the physician wants it to? That's a good question. I haven't really um, thought about the pharmacogenomic aspect to hydroxyurea, but that's, uh, I'm assuming that's uh, something that can definitely be um, an aspect to um, especially with the toxicity of hydroxyurea. Um, you know, with pharmacogenomics, we have so many different um, uh, understandings for so many different types of, of drugs. So, um, yeah, that, that's a very um, interesting aspect as far as looking into, um, you know, pharmacogenomics and, and the toxicity of hydroxyurea. I think that's a very uh, interesting topic. Yeah, if you Google uh, pharmacogenomics uh, FDA, and I'll put this in the show notes for the listeners. There's an interesting FDA upkeep that they keep a pharmacogenomics biomarker in drug labeling list. And this gives the categories 
Um, it gives the biomarker, it gives the therapeutic area, such as infectious disease, oncology, uh, psychiatric medication, anesthesiology, gastro, ga can't say that either, gastroenterology. How do you say that? <laughs> Gastroenterology. Gastroenterology. <laughs> um, uh, hematology. So I'm going to put this, but this is a um, an expanding list. I remember when I first concentrated on an application that we were developing for physicians to be able to quickly put in some basic information to see if a patient was candidate to be paid to get a PGX test paid for them. We only had 165 medications listed. This is uh, 2000, probably 16, 2015. And William, this list has just exploded since then. So lots of new medications listed as well as the categories. It's a fascinating list, but I'm going to dig down into that. Maybe for part three of the sickle cell podcast series, we'll kind of dig back into some of that science. But what else can you uh, share with us and our listeners who are curious about this disease, who have who have, uh, have tuned into this episode. And, and I'm, what I'm wondering is, I always think of, of new medications coming down the pike. Can you talk about any of the new medications that, that may be uh, leveraged or being used or anything that you know? Yeah, so there's um, actually been some new medications that have been um, approved you know, late last year. Um, and I think there was also one back in 2017 called Endari which is um, an amino acid called L-glutamine. So that actually um, was approved, I believe, back in 2017. And um, that was actually one of the first drugs um, to be approved um, in five years or older, I believe. And also um, with adults, you know, after hydroxyurea for like 20 years. So it's, it's interesting. It's just, um, you know, that's why I love that you did this episode because we definitely need more awareness about this disease. Cause I mean, if you look, you know, past what, like hundred years, there's been only about four drug therapeutics yep. for this, med for this, uh, for this disease state. So um, we, we definitely need more uh, funding and need more research and development so we can have more treatments, you know, for people. But then obviously when you, when you talk about drug treatments, you, you, you get into the cost and, you know, with these new therapies that I'm, that I'm going to briefly talk about next, they can be pretty uh, costly as far as the annual cost, but, Andari is a medication that's approved, you know, greater than five years or older. And basically, uh, it works. It increases the amount of glutamine, which is an amino acid um, that's taken up by the sickle cell. Um, and it basically reduces, like, antioxidant stress, and it allows the red blood cell to uh, regain its flexibility. So that's um, a drug that got approved. And then you also got two other drugs um, that have been approved in the late 2019, last year. Um, one of them is a monoclonal antibody called Adocfeo, and um, the other one is called um, Oxbrita. So uh, both of these um, can be used in monotherapy or it can be used in combination with hydroxyurea. But um, Adocfeo, which is a monoclonal antibody, um, that one also decreases the amount of um, vaso-occlusive crisis that happens. And um, it's an injection, so basically you start you know, on day zero, then week um, two, and then you do it um, every four weeks. So, and then also Oxbrita is another medication that um, helps stop the polymerization, as I talked about earlier with uh, the clumping that happens with the uh, red blood cells. 
So um, that one, usually the dose is 1500 milligrams uh, daily. And I believe um, it comes in 500 milligram um, uh, dosage form. So you take three of those a day. But, um, but yeah, those are really the four medications that are out right now, hydroxyurea, Endari, Adocveo, and Oxbrita. And um, it's exciting. When, when I first heard these new drugs coming out, um, I think they, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to remember how far apart they got approved. Um, I think uh, Docveo was November 15th, and then um, Oxbrita was a few weeks later. But it was exciting to hear, you know, these drugs being approved because it's just been so long since we have, since we've had, you know, um, drug therapies for, or new drug therapies for uh, sickle cell disease. So um, it's really um, cool to see these uh, different drugs and then also um, other drugs in the pipeline as well. I know um, they're looking at, uh, you know, novel drug targets to increase uh, fetal hemoglobin. And so it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing what, what's going on in the sickle cell world as far as, you know, drug treatments. So is there a staging, uh, William, of these therapies between those four medications where you might start off with hydroxyria and then you move to Indari or you move to the next medication? Is there a stage within the sickle cell disease from diagnosis to living with it for one year, five years, 10 years um, that, that, you would, um, that you would understand and or know about? From what I understand, um, I know hydroxyurea has been around for, for a long time. So um, if, if someone's able to get access to that drug, because obviously we have to understand, you know, healthcare access and all that stuff, then um, hydroxyurea, once again, is one of the mainstays. These new drugs that have been, um, that have been approved, um, I've, I know I've heard, you know, physicians having trouble with um, getting, you know, these medications because with, with insurance companies, they want you to try one drug before the other. Um, but, you know, these new medications, they have somewhat different, you know, mechanism of, mechanisms of actions as I, you know, talked about earlier. So, um, you know, a lot of the times, uh, you know, sometimes an insurance company won't cover, their, you know, the other, or they make you try one before the other, um, as with, you know, any other, you know, medications. But, you know, these medications, um, these new uh, medications can be used in combination with hydroxyurea or, um, they can be used uh, monotherapy as well because there's some people who are not on hydroxyurea um, for whatever reason. But uh, but yeah, those are you know some of the um, things as far as uh, therapies with sickle cell and as far as which ones to use. Okay, so and I'm I'm always thinking of of you know the children factor uh, under 18 and what medication would be go-to for a physician in, in understanding the difference between a, uh, an adult and a, and a child. Is there any difference in, in therapy for uh, children over adults? Well, these new um, medications, um, the Adocveo, that one is approved in greater than 16 years old. The Endari is improved, approved for um, greater than five years old. So um, those medications can be used in those uh, target populations. Um, hydroxyurea has been one of the, the mainstays as far as, um, you know, pediatric, uh, actually hydroxyurea was just, um, approved if, if I understand correctly from what I was researching, um, back in 2017. So that one, um, two years, two years and up for hydroxyurea. So, 
um, we're seeing, you know, these drugs and, and the different uh, approval um, for um, different uh, pediatric populations as well. So um, that's also exciting as well because we're seeing drug therapies that can, um, that can help, you know, the pediatric uh, population. Very good. We uh, so much appreciate you kind of helping us to further unpack sickle cell disease and pharmacist insights. If you're listening right now and you also are passionate about this disease state and you have more to share with us, this is how we continue to grow these publications as well as these special series and this series on sickle cell disease. And if you'd please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast uh, nation to get involved. You can send us an email at publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. That's publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. Once again, a special shout out to my go-to Cliff Notes Jedi Master, Brandon Dyson. Thank you so much for your research and your work. If you don't know of this guy's blog, this doctor is amazing. TLDRpharmacy.com. That's TLDRpharmacy.com. William, thank you so much for being available for us today and participating in your second series now. You're starting to become one of these veteran podcasters now on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. and I know, right? <laughs> we, want, we want you to keep coming back. Yeah, definitely um, love being on here. Like I said before, you know, you're one of the uh, premier uh, pharmacy podcasts out there who are, you know, making the name of, you know, Pharmacy Great. So definitely love... Uh, chatting with you and and uh, definitely grateful once again for you having me on for you know sickle cell awareness month because it's definitely a disease that we need to uh, highlight more absolutely well we appreciate you william what you're doing if you haven't checked out uh, he has a, an amazing youtube channel we will also have that in the show notes uh, take a look very informative down to earth very sincere and i like listening so um thank you for that william thank you you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. This is the Sickle Cell Podcast Series. Once again, uh, please share these podcasts with other pharmacists, physicians, nurse practitioners that you know uh, would like this information and would be interested possibly in participating. We need a collaborative episode where we can get a physician on. If you know a physician that would be interested in participating, please have them reach out to us and we will gladly facilitate. And as always, I love pharmacists. I love what you do. You are the hub of healthcare. Stay safe out there in pandemic world and land and what you do as frontline healthcare providers. If there's anything that we can do at the Pharmacy Podcast for you, please reach out to us. And as always, we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.